Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen. I'm the director of Sun Positive, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Associate Professor Ingrid Mulder, a highly experienced and passionate academic currently working at the Technical University of Delft at the Faculty of Industrial Design Engineering. Ingrid's expertise is in the transformative and social design using design techniques to empower people driving social change. As part of a previous readership on participatory innovation at the Rotterdam University of Applied Sciences, she initiated the first fab lab in Rotterdam, Stads Lab Rotterdam, and founded Creating 010, a transdisciplinary design-inclusive research centre enabling citizens, students and creative industry to make the future of Rotterdam. Ingrid is also an expert evaluator in digital social innovation, the Internet of Things, and smart cities at the European Commission. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss a range of Ingrid's projects and how she's using design techniques to drive forward positive social change. We'll get Ingrid's insights and thoughts on some inspiring initiatives which are using social design as a driver for healthier communities. And along the way, you'll undoubtedly get some great tips from Ingrid's broad expertise. Ingrid, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Ingrid, could you please share a little bit about your background in design and academia? Actually, I have a quite broad uh, route to, uh, to enter at, uh, at the end here at the Faculty of Industrial Design mm. Engineering. So I'm trained as a policy and organizational scientist, mm-hmm. so a behavior scientist, yep. working on intersubjectivity, looking for true things and how you can transfer knowledge from one person to the other and making mm. models, yep. different models, theoretical mm. models. And so when I was uh, in my final year, I managed to do my, uh, my graduation among a strategic consultancy company, mm-hmm. KPMG, yep. Strategy Efficient. And there I was working a lot in the midst of innovation with C-level, um, mainly mailmen, mm-hmm. and um, to discuss what the future can bring for them. Mm. What is their vision and how can you support in that? Mm. And actually that is design thinking. It's yep. a designerly way of working, mm. but it's very strategic design. Yep. And it's more on system level and thinking forward. Yep. So there was a fine, interesting period because I was like quite young mm. on the top level yep. of strategic uh, directors. Mm. Uh, and after that, I started in an innovative technology a top institute, mm-hmm. what was has funding for looking for what new technologies uh, could do for our society. Yep. So this is almost 20 years ago. Mm. And again, and I only realize it's real by now, is that I was for the second time for a real job 
in a kind of experimental place mm-hmm. where collaboration, innovation and trying to change the world was default. Mm. And also way more having this research through design mindsets mm. and have this from different expertise and be empathic to each other and understand what other fields mean and trying to develop mm. a shared uh, vocabulary and a common ground yep. and work on that mm. was like the normal way to do. And by working there with close with industry, I could define my own PT, let's call it like mm-hmm. that. And I ended up to uh, to work at Educational Science and Technology on a PhD on designers, mm. how designers that work across a distance can learn from each other. Mm. Because usually they just work yeah. and are not so open to really have this co-construction of knowledge. Mm. And I've seen it working. That's what really interests me. And I really want to get this in teamwork mm. because I believe if you can get society on this same level, yep. you can really deal with societal challenges. Mm. I think recently, perhaps you'd agree or not, that there's been a shift towards this collaborative co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that change, the sort of research that you did originally where perhaps people weren't sharing so much information to a, a society which is more willing to, to share now? Yeah, I think you're, yeah, you're right on that. And it's also for kind of like different what I also discussed with former colleagues. Mm. Like the research we did at that time was really ahead yeah. of the time of life. Yeah, yeah. So actually now these things are just popping up again mm. and people start talking about well, knowledge sharing, co-working yeah. spaces. Yep. And yeah, on the one hand, I feel like okay i've been there but on the other hand it's like see we were on the right track yeah. we should be patient mm. and see to find different ways to support society yeah. in order to to come faster at that level too mm. because i have been in a difference in a supportive environment where i could learn that yeah and, and so and so what is it that drives you to work in academia what li- i like to to work is with students yep and in, in particular, students that are really eager to, to learn mm-hmm. and are willing to um, to cross their yeah. bar- own borders, yep. but also those of other people. Very good. Try to bring knowledge to, to others as well. Mm. Excellent. And so, as the Associate Professor at the Faculty of Industrial Design and Engineering, what projects are you currently working on and, and particularly excited about? Yeah, so... This is like, it's on, on two levels. So it's on the small thing where you work with uh, one-on-one with students, which tries to, to get them learning things mm. and see how they can just bring it further. That's very interesting because yeah. it has a direct mm. uh, effect and hopefully impact as well. Yeah. And also I like to, to bring this in, in society. So I have currently two big projects uh, running. Mm-hmm. One is a European project, yep. it's uh, called Open for Citizens mm-hmm. and I collaborate with uh, Professor Nicola Morelli from uh, Alberg University yep. and colleagues from Polymi from mm-hmm. Barcelona, yep. uh, Karlstad in Sweden mm-hmm. and we are with Delft team working with the uh, municipality in uh, Rotterdam Excellent. and also with Wij Delfthaven, mm-hmm. what is an, uh, a citizen political party. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. And so, so what is the aim of that project? And so the story is, um, so there's a lot of data already available. Mm. So 
the debate is going usually on well we should open data because it's so worthwhile and it has it's like the new gold mm. and this is true on one hand uh, but there is already a lot of data available mm. what we start to do is looking more at all people that can't use it yeah. yet so how can we rather than focus on having more and more data available mm. train people empower them to do something meaningful with yep. it and have the the co-creation between citizens and well uh, civic uh, servants mm. to find which way is the best to collaborate excellent yeah very interesting so on linkedin recently I saw one of your posts, which is an article talking about the increasing complexity that cities face mm -hmm. and calling for a different way of city making. And the article said it's one that combines top-down management with bottom-up social innovation. So could you please tell us a little bit more about participatory city making and what that project is about? Yeah, so that's, that's one of the other um, nice grants. Um, I got mm. and so actually it's it's like interesting to explain a little bit about where the grant comes from yeah. because it's from the um, uh, scientific technology uh, science department of our Dutch uh, scientific funding agency mm -hmm. and they actually also start experimenting by having a call called research through design mm. and so they want to have great project that demonstrate what the value is of research through design yeah and I took up the challenge to have participatory city making uh, in that, which is Excellent. not a typically design project with a thing that can drop from the table and you can understand, you can research mm. it. Uh, but we started from uh, two angles. Yep. It's like with the design techniques. And uh, so the top, like actually connecting top-down management, uh, urban planning, yep. so more the strategic way. And how can you connect it with the current initiatives mm. in grassroots, the bottom-up movement yeah. that's already happening. Excellent. So actually they're talking about the same, the vision might be the same, mm. but it's rather disconnected. Mm. And in the project I collaborate with, uh, with Drift, mm -hmm. with Professor Dirk Lorberg, yep. and he's expert in uh, transition studies, transition management, so it's the far ahead. And here in industrial design, we basically do the same but we focus on the personal, the tacit yep. needs of mm -hmm. people and actually the small and the richness. And we try to well to have this this bridge between well actually everybody involved. So yeah. have these visionary discussions but mm. also be able to act upon. Yeah, fantastic. And this is maybe something you recognize. It's very easy if you're in a, in these workshops very invited to think about the future, you're all with all nice people mm. that are quite have an innovative mindset. Yep. And then it works. That's mm. very nice. And in particular, you have great visions, you can do it. But imagine you're the only one from your institute and you come back. How can you get the others along yeah. in that way? Yeah. So this is really the thing we are we are targets mm. on. How, yeah, how can you then empower those stakeholders as well? Yeah. Yep. So this central line in my research is really empowering people mm. and bring the impacts further uh, because it's very Excellent. easy that I can do it. Go in, deliver and walk away. How does it work if I'm not there? Yeah. Um, but I can do just so little. 
Mm. So I can train my students to do it, but that's just still little influence. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, if you really want to scale up and do things on society level, we need more people that yeah. can do it. Yeah. And I'm not talking up uh, on expert design skills. Yeah, sure. At that level, there are still is a need for designers. Mm. Sounds like a fantastic yeah. project. So are there any particular design techniques that you employ within this project or other projects mm -hmm. that are, are really created to, to empower people and to, to create positive social change? Yeah, so actually it's, it's, a, it's a mix on, on things and it is quite hard to, um, to explain. But if you just go from the previous discussion we had, it's like we do here, and this is like we have a long uh, stance of tradition here mm. at the faculty, that we know how to be more empathic to users. Mm. How can you understand user needs? Yep. So there are different ways on getting this insight. Mm -hmm. It's not just asking people what it is, but yep. really working with people, yep. let them make things. So we use prototyping mm -hmm. in different ways, also yep. to get insights. Mm -hmm. But usually this has been trained for people give insights to the designer and the designer makes something. Sure. This is the, the classical interpretation mm -hmm. and it's not all what we do, but yep. this is where it comes from. And what I try to do is that everybody involved so that there are multiple people mm. so there is uh, not only a user yeah. of the foreseen products mm. so there is a series of stakeholders mm. that might have different values and different beliefs yeah. that are going in dialogue together mm. and can co-construct these insights yeah. so that's my uh, educational uh, perspective sure. it's still in and the product is not a product. So there might be an artifact mm. that facilitates the discussion. Yeah. But we're also talking about a system. Mm. And yeah. then a system can be a product service system, what is already a change in industrial design. But I'm talking about changing society. Mm. So it's a long run. But by having innovative product service systems, you might also be able to discuss how it links your own discipline, your own work, yeah. and how a whole sector can change, for yeah. example. Very so there are these different levels. And then I also use theories more from future making, future studies, mm -hmm. the transition management, so that, that goes on, on, on bigger systems. Yeah, great. And that's again, of course, where I came from, yeah. because I came from the system science yeah. field. So, that's another interesting thing that I came from the big to the to the small mm. and desert yeah. here in the faculty. That's my move, mm -hmm. where you see the faculty is moving the other way around. They wow. started making chairs, and now uh, design for the future. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, what initiatives and programs here at Delft are being run to help support and and create a vibrant culture of change makers? People who are getting out there and trying to improve society in some way. Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of a, a default skill effort here in, in Delft. Mm. Uh, because Delft is one of the oldest uh, faculty of the faculties, but also the university is, mm. uh, is quite long-standing, established yep. uh, in the Netherlands. Mm. And it's a, a university of technology. Yep. So it means it has a long tradition with working with and for industry. Mm. 
So if you work for industry, it's also always about real things. So there is a quite applied character. Yeah, yeah. Al has always been there. Mm. Um, so in that sense, it, I think it's, it's in the genes. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, there is this the tradition. If you're already big, it's very hard to change. Yeah. That's another story. But then on top of that, we have, uh, well, we have in our curriculum and in particular in industrial design engineering, it's really important to, to think about more across your own disciplines, mm. understand other disciplines, be able to communicate how your design yeah. affects. So there is already more of this mm. well, vibrant uh, skills yeah. you refer to. Yeah. Um, but then we have additional projects that are we call for the excellent mm -hmm. students. And these can be just cum laude students that just do really on a great level yeah. the standard offerings. Yeah. And we have like more projects with, with business, with mm. our kind of special projects where you're selected to work with big companies. Yeah. And we have also the Honors Program. Mm. And I'm the coordinator for the Honors Program of the Masters of Industrial Design Engineering. And then they have to to work on their own uh, project, and this is yeah quite challenging thing. We have yeah. an, an honest community at uh, TU Delft level, mm -hmm. yeah. and then they have a personal project. They have to demos of actually come up with it, mm. how it fits, and how it's on top of their master. So you can't. It's not like picking up additional electives, yeah. and yeah. that's quite easy way. But mm. they have to formulate what their vision is and what they really want to use the honors project mm. for to make a difference. It sounds like a really smart strategy because it means, it, well, in many ways mm. it gives, gives them ownership, but it allows them to really create something yeah. which, which is aligned with their purpose yeah. uh, and what they'd like to be using design. So what advice would you give to students who are really passionate about then using an honors project mm -hmm. Uh, or their studies to then get out there and, and use that to create this change. Yeah, so, well, really you already said it, get out. Yeah. Do and reflect on it. Yeah. Don't think too much because time's, time's up. Hmm. I think that's... You're not a week away. Yeah. So try and reflect and do better. Hmm. And also another advice what I really give to students is yeah. try to make mistakes when you're in education. Hmm. Here you can... Well, learn from it, yeah. and this is a safe haven. Mm. You can learn and fail, and by doing that, you really learn more than mm. just executing the things without uh, crossing the lines. Yeah, it's great advice, yeah. very good advice. You said you've been at TU Delft for eight years. How have you seen the tertiary education sector shift, and where do you see it going into the future? Yeah, so what's... A little bit interesting to say before you I mentioned in the introduction. Uh, after I was in the in the Technology Institute, mm. I became a reader in, in Rotterdam, so yeah. it's pretty close. And that is a readership at the University of Applied Science. Mm -hmm. So what you see, in particular in the Netherlands, I think it's broader, but in the Netherlands there is there has always been a strong tradition mm. between the traditional universities yes. that also can grant a PhD and the University of Applied Science, but is mainly on bachelor level and maybe master, but isn't allowed in the Netherlands to grant PhDs. Okay, yeah. So this is the, the difference. Mm. And why I became a reader, I was also one of the first readers in Rotterdam, 
is that on national level there is a change that the University of Applied Science become more academic. Mm. So I was in the in the school yeah. where it's more about education yeah. to develop a research mm. institute. So it's like it's 90% education, it's 10% research that yeah. really has to be born. Mm. In a traditional uh, is, uh, university, you have like 50-50. There's mm -hmm. actually two institutes that join forces. Yep. You have education and research yep. and have ever been there. Mm -hmm. But what is interesting to see is that these classical universities are going more applied. So this is, I think, an interesting thing to see that. Mm -hmm. And even recently we have uh, hired uh, some professors of practice. So with is actually a reader at the University of Applied Science, what is somebody with a more academic perspective joins the Applied Science. Yeah. And here we have the, the foundational, uh, mm. theoretical, yeah. uh, academic line of yeah. thinking. And we want to have a professor of practice that are uh, having um, just work for one or two days a week. Yeah. And they have their uh, design agency mm. or their strategic strategic design agency and they work uh, to bring the, the professional skills mm. into the education I think it's a it's a very smart mix personally yeah. to say that and it's, it's something I've seen in other universities yeah. around the world as well in the past I've sometimes seen a disconnect between academia and practice mm -hmm. and so bringing some yeah. people in for, from practice can perhaps allow that a stronger connection and to, to make sure that both universities mm -hmm. and practice can, can learn yeah. from each other. Very interesting. So you're also an expert evaluator at the European Commission. Can you please tell us more about that role? Sounds really exciting. Yeah, so well, it's, uh, yeah, it's very nice to, to, to do and get an overview of what happens yeah. in Europe. So that's really uh, was also good for my, uh, like my self-confidence to mm -hmm. see like I believe that it's not so much happening. Yeah. Well, I'm doing something that, yeah. that needs to be spread more mm. but also what my role was so you have like the big project flagship project that really say they do social impact mm. and it's very hard to to get this from deliverables whether it's true yeah and so my role is really to to ask through this kind of question so what is then the impact mm. Is it just you came up with something and how is it used? What does it offer? Can you yeah. explain about that? Mm. And this appears very hard if you have a team with maybe researchers and incumbents yeah. that are knowing how to get the funding out. Mm. Because basically the, the, the European Commission uh, schemes and what they want to aim for is, is very ambitious, mm. but it's very hard to execute. Yeah and really get projects that contribute on a larger scale. And that would lead me into measurement. How do you then measure that impact? I mean, one thing is to, yeah. to come up with these initiatives, but yeah, putting that into action and, and, and seeing that as being effective beyond a nice yeah. uh, promotional campaign. Yeah, and this is, this is very hard because this is also why I used the, to the you know, maybe the social innovation spiral of, uh, mm -hmm. of the Young Foundation. Yeah. And so this is also one of my ambitions. We see that design is quite good in just making proposals, yep. prompts, prototyping, mm -hmm. that things might work. Yeah. 
but it's so super hard to scale them and mm. sustain them. Mm. And there are various reasons for that it's not happening. Yeah. So a lot of things is that the projects just stop. Mm. And then the goal is for demonstrating that it works yeah. and nobody is taking over. Yeah. Or if there are people that are there to take it over, it's very hard to uh, design the designer out. Mm. Because just, and this is also what I see, even if you have guaranteed it, you know there are people around, then still the value of the designer being around, mm. or like a person being yeah. around yeah. and initiating, let's do. Yeah. Even that simple factor, what is definitely not a skill level, like everybody can have this role, mm. Mm. is a crucial one. Yeah, very interesting. And then, yeah, then there is the, the, it's a different kind of scaling. It's not what we know from business modeling and how mass production, how to scale. It's a different kind of scaling. Mm. And yeah, so this needs, uh, this needs way more attention. Yeah. We are moving in the right direction, but... This more needs to be done. Yeah, more needs to be done. Mm. And more understanding. And it's not that simple that you can say design can change the world mm. or the designer knows how to do it. Yeah. We really have a broader commitment mm. in joining forces and moving a direction. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So as the initiator of the first Fab Lab in Rotterdam, what were the challenges that you came up against in setting that up? And how have you seen that Fab Lab evolve over the years? Yeah, so, well, actually I don't think we had so much challenging. So I had a, like, uh, I took it with a small excuse. <laughs> Uh, as being the reader uh, for changing innovation of education in the first place. Mm. So bringing innovation in education. And I was working at an institute that uh, trains students in the broad area of computer science, media studies, media technology, mm. game technology, communication, digital communication. Yeah. Uh, so they have to do something with digital challenges. Yeah. Clear. And in order to train students with this new fabrication techniques, that's quite crucial. Mm. So, and doing that, it makes clear to have a fab lab inside. Mm. Yep. So this was the first motivation mm. to have it. So that was not too hard to have it yep. because it was clear vision. Um, but then it's how to get it working because the different things, and this is also nice if we maybe can go downstairs. And here we have like a similar workspace. Yep. But we have like similar numbers of students, yeah. but this is a workshop. Mm. So you can go there, but it's not really meant that all students go there because it doesn't fit. There are more students than equipment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really promoted. Yeah. And how I changed it in the Fab Lab over there, it was really meant for scaling and for having uh, students as stewards and training others. So there's really the peer training. Mm, yep. So use the idea of a Fab Lab yep. and have it. And this is, was one of the interesting insights that it was really working, that you see students start to be interested. They could do it as an elective and they could motivate teachers to join, but also teachers could motivate. It yep. was not an obligation. Mm. So not everybody has to do. Yep. Well, you can also teach English. Yeah whatever yeah, yeah. it's different but you have the option to join so that's a different way of changing inside a school mm. but because my research program was more on meaningful design in the connected city 
I was encouraging students to go outside. So in particular, those students that want to do something additional, work close with researchers, mm. join that. Yeah. So again, not all students. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if you really like to go for challenges, you can join. Mm. And then we always work with what I call co-creative partnerships. So it's actually the quadruple helix from a citizen-centered perspective, mm -hmm. but then with these real people on board. Yep. And because they are like creative industry students, they have to work, or actually I encourage to work them with creative industry mm. because these are their professional peers. Yep. So that's given, but there is also a kind of a domain field. It could be health or government, mm -hmm. or harbor, whatever. Yep. So these are different stakeholders. Mm. They have the content, but maybe not the skills. And we work close with researcher and education mm -hmm. and normal citizens. Yeah. So the students need to explain what they do and have the dialogue with all mm -hmm. these people. And what was one of the interesting elements in this, that it works for the students in the beginning that they learn. And I really saw an effect that they were more educated in how they position themselves, mm -hmm. aware of ethical issues, yeah. of the values, yeah. how to deal with that. So this was a great element mm -hmm. to have in. But what was even more interesting that in the beginning, I had just my network willing to join and offer nice real world yeah. examples mm -hmm. in doing that. But this was really moving quite fast to them to want to be in there. So the stakeholders really felt this, this was an innovative, experimental, mm. safe haven yeah. where they could learn. Fantastic. And where even the, well, my contacts, but usually then the, the senior people that said, well, we really want that for our colleagues. You know, they're having uh, innovation, what is not always easy to do in a company or an institution, mm. but by working with the students, it's it almost gives... Like given permission. It gives indeed this permission mm. for experimenting and mm. doing it a little bit outside, but you can take it back in again. Yeah. And this is what I actually try to, to do in my project now on a broader scale. Mm. Yeah, excellent. It sounds like a great space as well where students can really grow mm. that network and, and start stepping beyond the, yeah. the boundaries of the university, which is great. Ingrid, Europe's had a little bit of a rough trot over the last five to ten years where there was... The, the crisis, there was unemployment. Mm. Uh, we've seen some nations more affected by that than others. Within the Netherlands, how have you seen the citizens respond to this? And in what ways or what projects have you seen people using to create and respond to that situation and, and create positive impact? Yeah, so actually I would say that it might even have a kind of a positive uh, effect on the, the project I'm involved in in, uh, in Rotterdam mm. uh, because maybe like due to the crisis but also due to some policies that we now have like the obliged uh, participation society that our king wants us to be a participation society yep. that ministers call it that citizens have to be uh, more responsive and mm. do something in return on a local level I see this in interpretation is way more for civil servants mm. to be participatory and have to join the power and the initiative that's from the city. Mm. So this is really also how a mayor calls it. It's like a V society. Yep. And I would say it has spurred creativity instead. And this is really what 
really it's like I'd say a strength in my project yeah. because I really want to see and figure out what makes it that there are these great ideas and mm. how can we connect them better. Yeah. And actually this is also one of the reasons for having participatory city making. Mm. Because we have seen that there are so many great examples already, but we don't really know why they are incidental. But actually it's it's because there is a kind of thing in the air. Yeah. Because people are copying it. Yeah. And that's the same, for example, with the Fab Lab. Yeah. We were setting up the first one. And I'm not saying I have spurred the movement. Yeah. But by having one, you stimulate and motivate people to do it as well. Yeah. And you yeah. learn it. And by having more Fab Labs around in a city, it really makes a maker culture. Yeah. And this is, if, if there is a, enough mass, so it's a different critical mass, mm. you can change and, and show it. And yeah. there will be different people alone. Mm. And not only the, the usual elite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. You need to go beyond that. Yeah. To to change. Mm. So it's about getting that mass mass yeah. group of people on board. So are there any particular universities internationally, speaking beyond Netherlands, that you believe are leading the way when it comes to social innovation, social impact initiatives, and that you think are really doing some great projects? Yeah. So in general, I think we are definitely not there. Mm. So I wouldn't say there is really one leading. Yeah. There are some that also try and I would yeah. really uh, see them as peers and mm. happy to share with. Yeah. It's like the, the DASIS network around Milano and Northern Italy. Sure. That's uh, Mancini. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I work with some of his colleagues, mm. people that have his PhD uh, from there. Yeah. I would also say in, uh, in Brisbane, so the Urban Informatics uh, Lab is mm. uh, doing uh, great steps uh, forward. Yeah, Marcus Foth. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Alongside Margaret Petty, who as well uh, we interviewed on Impact Boom. And there's also Jazz Choi, mm -hmm. uh, who I believe is the current yeah. director of the Urban Informatics yeah. Lab. And, and uh, around Nesta in UK, maybe a little bit different mm. setup, but there are quite some others as well. Yeah. But I really want to, to go to a next step, yeah. break to, because there are enough good practices, but they all are squatters mm. and it's so hard to, to learn. So you think there's room there to really bring or have a common body or, or something which really brings all these different players together to, to create further strength? In theory, yes, it's, it's possible. Mm. But things happen, you know, in yeah. politics. Yeah that it's about different, there are different uh, rhythms. Mm. You know, there are countries that have a Brexit, yep. that vote for Trump, you know, yeah. it yeah. happens. Yeah. So it means there is not really a shared dialogue mm. and a society that's that's all has the same equal voices yep. to debate. Mm. Because media is focusing on, on this part of the country yep. and others are voting. So there's really a harmed social fabric. Yeah around and if you not work on that you're not talking about a shared future mm. certainly some challenges for us to yeah. try and turn into opportunities and this is why i'm so hampering on this uh, empowerment so we really need not to have like a committee of wise men wise women that mm. can just steer us to yep. the right direction because the, the issues are too too complex yeah yeah Yep. You can't put a responsibility with one person mm. and deal, deal it from a power perspective. Yep. It should really move to empowerment and 
as a society we should be in dialogue mm. but not everybody is on on that line of thinking so that makes it hard i think there's some great insights yeah. there and so insights. yeah yeah terrorism is not a theory of dialogue mm. on that note ingrid and to, to finish us off mm-hmm. are there a few really interesting design books that you'd like to recommend to the listeners yeah so actually i had a three because i found it a hard uh, question because actually i want to share like this is the book uh, what it says yeah so i had the the book what i really enjoyed was uh as mancini's book an introduction to design for social innovation mm-hmm. i think it's nicely broad and yep. really touch on the right level yep. how we should change yeah so i was quite happy on that but it doesn't say how to do it and as an associate professor in design techniques i really want to train my students in how to do it mm. and not only say theoretically design can do yeah because it doesn't bring us further yeah so we need need to have the skills and in that sense i also really like the diffuse design because more people need to bring it forward they need help from designers mm. but not only the designers yeah so society as a whole need to have more design skills in mm. order to be able to be a change maker. Yeah. Great. And we need to do it. So the other book is Confifield Toolbox, which is from Liz Sanders and Peter Stoppers, mm-hmm. my colleague. So this really goes on how can you use this generative design research and really go understanding users and learn the skills. Excellent. So this is really for Great. people to uh, Convivial Toolbox, to, get it. Go go around and get it. And the other one is uh, what we made uh, here in the faculty mm-hmm. with my colleague Annemiek van Boeien was the lead uh, in establishing the Delft Design Guide. Mm-hmm. We really brought together like the design techniques uh, we have developed uh, here in Delft. Fantastic. And would you say that that book leads us towards particular actions that we can use to, to go out and, and create this change? Yeah, so to go out, but then still this is just the beginning mm. because these are not... Uh, tools that really help us to make this systemic change. Mm. So this is really my plea for the for the design field that we have to to cross to a next level mm. and really change society and not only touching about on on top of it and talk about it, but really enabling a next level of change. Mm. So the direct users are usually empowered, and I can give a nice example what what we did with. Uh, getting dropouts in fab labs and doing programs with them, workshops that they can work on their own design yep. exercises, challenges. This worked. Hmm. They are empowered. They understand. They turn from dropouts in having a job, being selected to competitive schools. That works. Yep. But it doesn't mean the educational system is changed. So the next step is their coach. Hmm. Because now the coach is challenged. Because the coach did something that was not default and allowed to do in a school. So how can you change the school? So it's a clear evidence that you see design can change some people, but it's not the system. Mm -hmm. So in heaven, didn't have designed next education. You have some clue about it. It's a great evidence. It's great impact. It's kind of you can uh, repeat it again if you can do it with 15 youngsters. You can do it with the same effort for more. If you do it more efficiently, you can scale up. Mm. But the school system it has not changed. Yeah. And I really want to to really get these these levels uh, 
Fantastic. Up. It'll be interesting to see how your work progresses and we'll, we'll follow yeah. it with, with keen eyes. So Ingrid, you've shared some fantastic insights today. Thank you very much for your time. We much appreciate it. listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.